You have been listening to Pastor and Evangelist Daryl Sutton. For more information, you may write to P.O. Box 362, Red Cloud, Nebraska, 68970. Again, the address is P.O. Box 362, Red Cloud, Nebraska, 68970. We appreciate your taking the time to listen. God bless you. May the Lord continue to enrich you through His Word. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Is it warm enough for everyone in here? Praise God. There we go. Ephesians chapter 2. I want to begin reading with verse number 1. And I want to teach this this morning about becoming a child of God. Ephesians 2 verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now Paul is talking to the Ephesians about their life before they became Christian. And you can see he speaks quite clearly about what that lifestyle looked like. He told them that they were children who disobeyed. That's not a description that most sinners want to believe is accurate in regard to them. But the reason he uses the phrase disobedient people is because there is a spirit that animates sinners that they don't understand controls them. Before you became a Christian, before I became a Christian, our lives were governed by this spirit. And according to verse number three, we lived our lives on the basis of the desires of the flesh and the mind. So whatever we wanted, we felt like we had to have it. We went after it. It didn't matter what it was. If it was someone else's spouse, a person went after it. If it was someone else's possessions, a person had no, who had no scruples had also no convictions. Their conscience didn't bother them when they moved in that particular direction. And according to Paul in chapter 2, verse 1, there is a course of this world that basically is a pathway on which sinners' feet are walking every day. They don't realize that. But even on a racetrack, if, if a person is just going around in a circle, it's because that is the way the course has been built. If you've seen people run marathons, they have to stay on the path that takes them along the course that's been prepared. And so the world has a course also, and that course does not take them into the love of God or even into the grace of God. The devil does everything he can to keep everybody far from God. And this is why people have no interest in serving the Lord or going to church or believing in God. But they would never understand that by nature they are children of wrath. They are angry people. 
You say, well, pastor, I know a lot of people that don't live for the Lord, but uh, their temperament, their personality is one that's uh, really quite uh, congenial and, and nice. They don't seem to be angry or wrathful people. But when Paul describes them as children of wrath, he's making it very plain that they are living under the wrath of God. But at the same time, they are condemned in their sins because of their disobedience. We all know John 3.16, but we need to know John 3.18, which tells us that those who don't believe are condemned already. So the disobedient are living in this world and their lifestyle reflects the course on which the course of life that they have chosen to live. Now, Paul doesn't want people to live that way. And he has showed us a way out. And the New Testament definitely gives us this. And I want you now to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter number one. And I want to show you some of these different things that have been provided for us in becoming children of God. So the scripture says that Jesus came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. Notice verse number 12 in chapter one of the gospel of John. But as many as received him, to them gave he power or authority and right to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So the person who's a child of disobedience, a person who's a child of wrath, a person who's living in sin, doesn't realize that their father is the devil. And that's what Jesus said. He said that one time to the Pharisees. But if I want to change families and change eternal destinations, then I'm only going to be able to do that on the basis of a right relationship with the king. And the Bible says, if I receive him, I receive the privilege or the right to become a son of God, a child of God. It's not given to any and everybody. See, sometimes we try to speak of the brotherhood of man and describe everybody on planet Earth as if they're a child of God. They're not. If you want to say that everybody is the creation of God and that every human person is an image bearer of the image of God, then, then that's fine. But make, make no mistake about it. The person who disbelieves God, the person who walked contrary to the word of God is not a child of God. To as many who receive him, he gives them power to become. So if I have power to become, that means there's power to change me and power to transform me. Once I move from darkness into light, which can take place faster than it takes me the time to snap my fingers, then my heart changes, my mind has been illuminated with the word of God, and the Lord goes out of his way now to ensure that his desires have become my desires. So I look like him, I act like him because I'm a child of God. You look like and act like your parents. You have the same habits that they have. Sometimes you don't even understand that you have certain habits that come from them. One time Tiffany was at home visiting with, with my family and she noticed before my, my mom would drink a soda pop, she'd walk over to the freezer and put it in the freezer for 10 to 15 minutes before she'd drink it. Well, I, I've always done that. And of course, if somebody would have asked me why I did that, I don't know that I would have said because my mom did that. But she knew immediately that's where I picked up the habit. So the person that is born of God, they will develop the habits of God. Now, what was one of the habits of Jesus? He went to the synagogue. 
And what did he do at the synagogue? He read the word. The scripture says in Luke chapter four, it was his custom to go to the synagogue to worship. It's our habit. It's our custom to gather together. This is how the Lord has designed it. So the scripture says, let us not forsake the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is. So much the more as we see the day approaching. So it was the habit even in Paul's day for some people to say, oh, well, we don't really need the fellowship. It's not that important. But Paul says, if we believe the day of the Lord is approaching, then there's no better time than now to fellowship with other people who are of similar faith and who believe what we believe about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So John 1 and 12 says, as many, that means to all who believe and receive him, they become the sons of God. Now, with this transformation, God gives you a new family. And I think all of us like big families, except for people who grew up in big families. Yeah, yeah, people who, who had eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 kids or more, they can't always say they enjoyed growing up in a family that was big. I know my, my folks did 21 kids, 18 of them made it to adulthood. That's a lot of kids. I mean, by the time the pants go from the oldest one down to you, they've gone out of fashion, then come back in fashion. See, and by the time they get to you, they got patches and everything else that grandma has sewn in them. But, but here's the thing. When you have a nice sized family, it does feel good to see all of them when they get together. You know, you see those pictures and here is mom and dad, here are the kids, here are the grandkids, and here are the great grandkids, and here are the great great grandkids. And if you live long enough to see the great 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 grandkids, you may not know who all of them are by then, but, but you have a large family there and it's, it's beautiful to see the generations over time. Well, think about, think about what God sees when he looks at every generation that finds itself filled with people that have accepted his son. I would love to know that since Jesus' resurrection from the dead, how many people on planet earth that now are in heaven, and yet some still here, how many are there that have become citizens of the kingdom of God? That number must be large. Heaven has to be filled and running over with people that love the Lord. We don't even know how big our family is. You're going to meet people you've never known that were related to you by the blood of Jesus. Isn't that going to be wonderful? Oh, my goodness. I've got cousins in Cleveland, Ohio, cousins in Omaha, cousins in Alabama that to this day I have not met. Can you imagine? that many people. So to have a connection with so many people in the body of Christ, I think is a beautiful thing. Let's go further in the New Testament. Go to 1 John chapter number three. That's way back there by the book of Revelation where the pages are still stuck together. 1 John chapter number three. And I want us to look at verses seven through 12. We're talking about becoming children of God. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that does righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin 
is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever does not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. And this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now he illustrates it this way. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. Why did, he, why did he slew him? Why did he kill him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Now here is, here is the point. God had a relationship with both Cain and Abel. When Adam and Eve were placed out of the garden, then, of course, they understood that it was God's garden, and God was the one that had imposed upon them the custom of offering sacrifices. Obviously, Cain wasn't pleased with the kinds of sacrifices God wanted. And Cain decided he'd offer to God not what God desired, but what Cain believed he could get away with in presenting to God. There was no law. There was no Moses law. There were no rule books. The only thing they had to live by was the word of God. And yet verse 12 says of Cain, he was the wicked one. Now he was wicked before he killed his brother. Why was he wicked? Because he was offering the wrong sacrifice. In his heart, he felt he could give to God whatever he wanted God to have. And he didn't care anything about God's feelings. He wasn't interested in grieving the Holy Spirit or anything like that. So from his perspective, he can do whatever he wants to do and God has to accept him. Now tell me that's not the way a lot of people believe today. I can offer to God what I want him to have. I can give him so much of my heart, but not all of it. I can give to him whatever I want with respect to tithe and offering. I can give him however little of my time that I want him to have, and yet he is obligated to love me. Well, the person who goes down that road and chooses to do their own thing is only one step away from murder. You say, how is that? Because the man or woman that rebels against God, rebels against the wishes of God, will take the easier step of turning around and rebelling against their own kind. The person who will disregard God will also disrespect one another. The person who has no regard for the word of God and what the scriptures teach will also have no regard for you. So years ago, when uh, I think it was Miss Shirley uh, McLean, and she wrote her autobiography, and she was talking about, you know, all reincarnation and stuff that she believed in and the different lifestyles she thought she lived in the other incarnation she had on planet Earth. When they interviewed her and talked to her about, well, what about somebody who's raped? And then she just came out and said in the interview something to the effect that, well, that person had to go through that in order to get ready for a better lifestyle when they're reincarnated in the future. Well, listen, if, if you have no respect for God and no respect for God's word, then you won't have any respect for people. And this is what we have here with Cain. He has little regard for God 
And so his jealousy and envy for his brother brought him to a place where he killed him. Now there had been no death at this point, no human death, but yet this man had no problem at all shedding the blood of his brother to see what it would look like to watch someone die. And that's exactly what he did. Without Moses' law, without any kind of rule book, he went contrary to the voice of God, and this man murdered his own sibling. People do all kinds of things when they're walking away from God and turning away from the Lord. I think the depravity of man is great. Jeremiah said, the heart of man is desperately or deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? That, that is to say that inside of you and inside of me, there are the kinds of sins that could be manifested that would even shock you if given a certain temptation, you'd yield to it. We'd be surprised, you see. We'd be absolutely surprised. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 14 now. 1 Corinthians 14. So a child of God, when he or she is changed, should live in accordance with the word of God, even as Abel did. Abel lost his life because of it. But notice in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul in verse 18 says, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than ye all. Yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue or unknown tongue. Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. So notice this verse is about maturity. It's about our approach to the things of the Spirit, the operations of God in the local church, and he says that with regard to our understanding, we should be mature. Now you'd be surprised how many immature Christians there are. But this is what Paul is trying to address. When we become a child of God, it should be our desire to grow in grace and in knowledge, to understand the character of God, to understand the operations of God. So this is why he said, in malice or anger, be like a child. Now, how do children act when they're upset with one another? They're mad for a moment, and then a few minutes later, they're back to playing with one another again. You watch a couple of toddlers, they'll pull on something and snatch on it, and one might haul off and hit the other one or something, and then they'll get reprimanded and voices will get loud from mom and dad and their grandparents. Somebody's backside might get squatted, and people might puff and pout. But I'm telling you, 15 minutes later, they're back to rolling around, laughing, tickling one another again. And, and Paul is saying this is how we should be as mature Christians. We should be like children with regard to our anger and our malice. Now, I, I think that I think adults are experts at holding grudges. Yeah. You ever met somebody like that? Can hold a grudge and hold it a long time. And then if you ever have cross words with that person, 
They, they can they can bring up from the Rolodex of their memory stuff that you did 37 years ago, tell you what you were wearing, where you were at when it happened, even after you have begged and asked them, please forgive me. See? Yeah. Well, I mean, kids don't usually hold on to memories like that. The Bible says love keeps no record. But we, we have a tendency to keep a, keep a long record. But with regard to understanding, he said, let's, let's be mature. We don't expect a seven-year-old to understand how to pay the bills or understand the economy of a house. But we do expect a teenager to learn these things so that when they become an adult, then they can enter into this and learn how to manage a checkbook, learn how to pay bills on time and establish a good credit rating. We expect that, the Bible says be mature. So we understand from this then, our approach to the operations of God and to how we live with one another shows whether or not we're mature or immature. A person who's easily offended and every other moment they're angry and mad at someone, I don't care if they've been in church 50 years, they're immature. The person who will go out of his or her way to ensure that they are always right, regardless of the fact that the, the evidence may show they're wrong, but will argue you into the ground in order to be correct, that person is immature. No doubt about it. The Bible says we should be mature in our understanding. That means the way that we comprehend and the way that we grasp truth. If you tell a child two plus two equals five, it's going to be some time before you work that out of them. Because if they come to believe that two plus two is five, every time they stand up in front of that class and the teacher says, okay, now tell me how much is two plus two? Five. They don't say, okay, count what's on the board there. And they say, well, I'm still telling you it's five because that's what my brother told me. See? And, and you have to work that out. And as a Christian, we are constantly using the word of God to free people from things that are untrue and to free people from ignorance. And the only way to conquer ignorance is through the wisdom of God. That's the only way, the understanding. And the Bible says with all you're getting, get, get some understanding. So none of us know it all, but we want to know more than we know today. And the more that we do know, the mature we can be in how we handle the things of God. If someone were to ask you, have you ever heard someone give an utterance in tongues with an interpretation? If you've been around here long enough, you have heard that. So somebody else comes along and they say, well, I, I just think stuff like that then passed away a long time ago. Well, if it passed away a long time ago, there's certainly thousands and thousands of churches on planet Earth still doing it today. Somebody needs to tell God it stopped a long time ago. See? Yeah. And, and this is why Paul is talking to them saying that in the congregation, I would rather use my own language than to speak with tongues. So, of course, when... If uh, I'm ministering here or somewhere else, if God gives me an utterance in tongues, I'll give the interpretation 
and just share what the Lord has just shared on the inside of me. I've done that numerous times all across this nation. But at the same time, I don't just get up at the beginning of every service and then just start talking in tongues because I can. No. Paul said nobody can be edified that way. If I stood up here right now and quoted something or said something to you in Arabic, and then at the end of it said, okay, everybody say amen, and I even said that in Arabic, there wouldn't be one person that would say amen because you wouldn't understand a thing. If I did the same thing in Arabic or Aramaic or even in Turkish, you still wouldn't understand a thing. So this is why in church, Paul says, I'd rather speak with my understanding so that everybody can grow than to just have everybody just going off in different languages. It's a matter of maturity. And I go to churches sometimes where the pastor will jump right up and the first thing he'll say is, okay, everybody, let's just begin to pray in tongues. And then everybody, it'd be a thousand people, be 200, could be 40. Everybody just goes to praying in tongues or speaking in tongues. And then here you got a visitor who's come from the outside, don't know what any of this is. And they're just kind of looking around like, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Yeah. And, and when that happens, what should occur is somebody ought to get up and teach to help the person who's there the first time so they'll understand it, you know. I'm always cognizant of who comes through that door on a Sunday. I am. Because if, if we're in here and it's just the people that I know this is their home church, then I mean, I have no problem at all. Come on, everybody, let's begin to pray in the Holy Ghost or something like that. Because everybody understands that we preach the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking with tongues here. But if we have visitors who come in and don't know anything about that, then I'll just make sure that if it occurs that I teach to explain and nobody's lost. And this is why Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20, let's be people of understanding. Do you realize that in John Wesley's meetings back in the 19th century, in the 18th century, I should say, when he lived from 1703, 1791, that in his meetings, he had people falling out in the spirit. They laid hands on the sick. John Wesley had women preachers. He had people that would begin to speak in other tongues in his meetings. You can read his diaries and people can find that out. But the people today who follow John Wesley don't continue the teachings and beliefs that he had. No, they don't even talk about it. Don't know anything about it at all. But yet that man had a revival in England that was so great that he kept back confusion for at least a hundred years because of how he preached the gospel. And he sent men and women in every direction, holding classes in different homes. Let's go to Ephesians chapter four now. Ephesians chapter four. Notice then in Ephesians four, look at verse number 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children. Remember, we're talking about becoming children of God. 
tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So according to this, there are a lot of doctrines in Paul's day. And Paul says, I don't want you to follow every new belief that comes along, whether it's a new belief about Jesus or a new belief about some other deity. And he uses the illustration here again, children. Why does he use that illustration? Because children, as you know, are very gullible when they're small, very naive. Yeah. And so I know this to be the case because when just about every kid that's come up in this church, when they were tiny, I teased all of them just to see how much I could harass them. Yeah, I'd, I'd walk up to some of the little ones when they were small and I'd say something like, did you know that when the stork dropped you off at your mom's house, they didn't want you at first? I mean, they'd look at me, what? I said, it was bad. I said, we had to go over there and talk mom and dad into taking the little basket into the house with you. Really? And you know what they do? When they were little, they'd run right over there to mom and dad and ask. Because little kids are gullible. They'll believe just about anything. You put a kid in the bed with you, and if you want to scare them, as my sinful, wicked brothers used to do when I was a baby, they started making all of these spooky sounds and noises, and I thought boogeymen were in the closet and under the bed and under the sheets with us. And, and then I'd be laying there, then they'd make a sound, then reach out and touch me, then I'd jump up, run downstairs and say, Mom, I'm telling you, that room's got people in there shouldn't be in there. Because that's what they told me. See? So here Paul is saying, don't be like that. Don't let every kind of wind and doctrine carry you back and forth. And as a Christian, we show our maturity by being grounded in God's word. And believe me when I tell you, there are a lot of doctrines about Jesus Christ in this world today. You can talk to somebody who's a Mormon and they can tell you in all sincerity that Joseph Smith was an excellent man. And by the time they're done, they'll have you believing that man was on the right track. But if you come back to the book, you'll see he was wrong. If you listen to some Muslims, they can describe to you what it is to be a Sunni or a Shiite or a Sufi or whatever particular sect they're from. And by the time they're done explaining it, you'll think that really does sound interesting. But you come back to the book, you'll see it's contrary to the doctrines of Christ. You talk to a Buddhist and the Buddhist would say, look, there is no God at all. You just need to learn to live your life in harmony with nature. And there are a whole lot of people in Hollywood and around the world that accept that. Come back to the book, you realize they had Buddhism in Jesus day, but he still said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. Same thing with Hinduism, more than a million gods. They don't even know how many gods are in that religion, but yet you still have multitudes of people that follow it. Paul said as a Christian, don't be carried with every wind of doctrine. Get your roots down, get them planted deep in the Lord and walk with God so that on Monday, you won't be a Jehovah's Witness. And then on Tuesday, you decide you're an atheist. And then come Wednesday, you're involved with the new age. You see, there's always something. 
that just continues to lead people, then by Friday, you're bowing down, praying to dead saints. No, get your roots deep in God and understand that there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, and don't be like the people who allow all of these things to carry them back and forth. Now, what does wind do? It moves anything that is lighter than the volume of pressure coming from the breeze. So if you put a little paper cup out in the, the parking lot, then you'll see a breeze come along, you just blow it here, then stand and watch it, pretty soon they blow it there, you stand and watch it for four or five hours, that cup then gone all over the place, back and forth, and that's how many people are. And I've seen a lot of people that have said to me, you know, I've been searching for God for a long time. I said, well, have you found him yet? Well, no, I'm still looking. I'm going through all the different religions. I'm doing a comparative study to see where they are. I just have to tell them the scripture says there are none that seek after God. See, But yet the Bible says God's not trying to hide himself from anybody who wants to know who he is. Anybody who comes to him has to come through Christ. He who hath seen me have seen the Father. If they don't come through the Lord Jesus Christ, they'll never find him at all. But just like the foam on the wave, on the crest of a wave, when you watch the current come into the shore and then you watch it go back out, all these different ra waves going in and out, but you can see the debris very often is moving in different directions. Here's all the trash and the flotsam that's there. It moves, it goes just a little bit of movement here. It's one mile, two mile, 10 miles out into the ocean. This is what happens with us. You follow every wind of doctrine and you never ever really get situated in Christ the way that you should. And this happens with all of the different types of churches we have. So. So we, we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Because that's what Jesus said in Matthew, go into the world and do it, and then the, the Gospel of Mark. So that's how we baptize. But then you'll find some people, they, they run through the book of Acts, and they see the places where they said these folks were baptized in Jesus' name, then all of a sudden they think that's the only way to baptize. And if you don't baptize in Jesus' name, because in their mind, if you baptize in the Trinity form, you're not baptizing in Jesus' name, then they don't think you've been baptized right. So if you leave one church and go to another church, then the people in the Jesus' name only church want you to be rebaptized again. But then there's some churches don't even believe baptism is for this era anymore. No. I've met people that believe if you're not baptized in Jesus' name, you're not even saved. Think about it. Different variations. I had one man show up at one of the other Bible studies one time. He told me, if you don't speak with other tongues, you're not saved. I said, where in the world did a creature like you come from? Where did they find you? They don't have anything like that in the Bible around here. I've read in the backs of magazines where people, they'll send off for a videotape series that'll teach them how to become a prophet. Now you think about that. It's $147. You send it into a ministry. They send you back 24 videos or something. You watch the videos. You sign the little certificate, send it back. Then they give you something. And now all of a sudden you can say you're a certified prophet. Every wind and doctrine. Utter deception. I remember, remember years ago preaching a camp meeting. 
and where they had me staying, the lady of the house, she came, she had me in there for breakfast. So it's me, her, her hubby, several other preachers, and the, everybody else had went out under the tent because they were going to the prayer meeting. I'd gotten up a little bit later because I was up later that night uh, preaching and praying for people. So I slept in. So we're sitting here at the kitchen table and she asked me if she could share with me about a dream she had. I said, sure. She told me about a dream she had where an angel came to her, a female angel came to her and, and told her all of these different things that she specified. And then afterwards, she asked me what I thought about that. I said, well, I think it's unbiblical. She said, unbiblical, why? I said, well, because all the things that you just told me just aren't true. And I said, I don't think you can find any kind of semblance of any of that in the scripture. And I was very diplomatic in the way that I shared that with her. And I said, we, we have to come back to the Bible. And I'll never forget her words to me, pointing at the Bible. She said, I don't care what that book said. That was my angel. See? Okay, well, it's yours. You can have it. I don't want it. I'm holding to what the book says because there's a lot of self-delusion in this world today because people are following different winds of doctrines that are coming back and forth. See? utter deception. So we know then that the scripture says in verse 15, we should speak the truth in love. Let me give you one more. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Very interesting text in talking about children and becoming children. Matthew 5 verses 43 through 45. You have heard that it has been said Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I, this is Jesus talking, I say to you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of the Father, which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So according to Jesus, there are certain things in this world that come to every human being, whether we're righteous or unrighteous. You, you say, Pastor, what are certain things that come to everybody? Death. It doesn't matter how holy you are or unholy you are. Everybody dies. Taxes, doesn't matter how holy you are or unholy you are, everybody is going to pay taxes. As he said, the rain, the rain falls on everybody's field, whether the farmer loves the Lord or whether the farmer doesn't love the Lord. Every morning, billions of people wake up to a new sunrise, whether they believe in God or do not believe in God. So many things that the Lord does in creation is provided for both the good and the bad. The bad have pretty flowers that grow up in their area, just like we do. Some of them grow up in areas where the geography and the scenery is beautiful, even when they don't have an attractive heart. That's just the way God made this. However, he says that you have heard in the past in the Old Testament where it was stated, just love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So if you had somebody you didn't like and you hated them, that was good. 
was good. What does the psalmist say? I hate my enemy with a perfect hatred. Who would have ever thought there was a perfect hatred? That means that there's something way down inside of me that disdains you for who you are and for what you do. And some people can have such hatred inside of them that it consumes them. And the only way people get like that is because of bitterness. So here's what Jesus said. Love, bless, and pray. I'd like those three verbs. And this is what you're supposed to do for the people you don't like. Okay? This is what you do for the people you don't like. Now, I understand that you being the good Christian that you are, you don't have many people in your world that you don't like. But, but for us who struggle, we read this verse over and over again because it's medicine for our soul. If you have people that treat you wrongly, who persecute you, who lie on you, who slander you, who abuse you, who are hostile to you, who behind closed doors or in other locales when you're not present speak evil of you. The scripture says when you're aware of it and you've come to know it, you're to love them. And it's a verb. It's not a noun here. It's a verb. So love is an act. And this is what we're supposed to do. You say, why would Jesus tell us to love, bless, and pray for people who mistreat us? Because if you're loving and blessing and praying for them, you're not attacking them. Remember, that's what they're doing to you. So if you're, if you're praying for them, you're not attacking somebody because God wants you to bless them. He said, bless them how? What, what, what can I do? What should I do to bless somebody who, who's treating me wrong. Let's suppose somebody was mistreating you and then just out of some strange coincidence, a, 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 a tragedy came where their home burned down. Okay? Then you go out of your way and you bless them. Yeah. Help them have restored to them what they have lost. You, you, you don't stand around and smile slyly behind the scenes and say, I am so glad you finally got yours. Oh, that's not, that's not God. And, and there are people who gleefully look upon other people's calamities and think that's a Christian thing. That's, that's not good at all. Verse 45 tells us to love, bless, and pray that we can be the children of our Father which is in heaven because this is what he does. He blesses and loves people who do not even like him. Yeah, yeah. There's enmity between sinners and God, yet God still loves them and looks after them. So by loving and blessing and praying for them, you're not attacking them. But at the same time, you're keeping your heart from becoming like theirs. You don't want to be a bitter person? Pray for the one that you really don't like. You say, well, if I don't like them, how can I pray for them? Well, start praying for them, then God start working on your heart. The loving, the blessing, the praying is the therapy. You say, well, pastor, I'm angry about what happened. They mistreated me. I know that's what Jesus is saying. He knows you're in the predicament now where you're offended and you're upset about it. So he said, here's the curative. 
rather than sit, sitting there and stewing in all of this and getting angrier and angrier to the point where the pot starts boiling over and pretty soon there's bad words coming out of your mouth and you're thinking wicked and evil thoughts, the Lord says, love them, bless them, pray for them. Yeah, yeah. that's how you can keep your heart from becoming like theirs. Because if your heart becomes as dark and as hard as theirs, you not only will persecute them, you'll start persecuting other people. And you'll become the enemy of other people. And you already know that some of the hardest people to be friends with are people that are very bitter because you don't enjoy the conversation with them because no matter what they talk about, they always talk about people in a mean-spirited, exceptionally critical way and it's almost like poison coming out of their mouth and when you leave their house or put the telephone down very often you're under such conviction you feel like going in the closet somewhere getting on your knees and praying saying oh God please forgive me for even allowing myself to sit there through all of that yeah so love and bless and pray for them who use you uh, none of us like being used, but certainly there are people who will exploit your talents and your abilities, then take the credit for it, and you'll do a good job and somebody else will get the promotion. The Bible says pray. Pray for them. Yeah. God has a way of opening up doors for you, and just as sure as it looks like the rain and the sunlight has come into that person's life who is wicked, I can assure you God's going to make sure some rain and sunlight comes to you. He's not going to forget you. He's not going to forget your labor of love and your, your work of faith. And then, as you can see in verse 45, by showing these actions, it demonstrates that you belong to your heavenly Father. So he says in verse 46, if you love those that love you, what reward do you have? That's what the, that's what the, the publicans do. The tax collectors, they love everybody that loves them. But by loving people who love you back, you don't show that you're a big person or you're a Christian. You know what shows you're a big, mature, sound-minded Christian? Your reactions and responses to people who hate your God and hate your Christ and hate you because you're in God and in Christ. That's what shows the fact that you have a relationship with God. If somebody came up to you knowing that you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and they knew some of the values that you hold and they decided they wanted to call you all kinds of names, could you still walk in love? I've wondered plenty of times how I would do on that uh, show every now and then if I'm in some store and I've got to wait for something or in a doctor's appointment, they got that thing on that thing called The View, them crazy ladies on there. I, I've wondered sometimes if I was stuck at the table with, with them ladies, how in the world would, would I react to some of the things that they say about Christians and people that hold to biblical traditions and biblical values. I'd like to believe that my responses would be direct and I'd speak the truth in love. The reason I say I'm challenged when it comes to that is because I don't act that way when I'm sitting there watching it on television. See? Yeah, I'm honest. I'm just, just being honest. 
I, I see some of those things and I'll be sitting in a car place or doctor's you know, lobby, like I said, and they'll get to talking that I'm watching other people looking at that and steam is coming out of here. And I mean, my hands and fingers are doing this and my knees are just jumping around. I'm ready to break the television. So you pray for me as I pray for you. Yeah, you pray for me as I pray for you. And, and if you only salute your brethren, what are you doing that's any different than the publicans? So he says, be perfect, even as your father which is in heaven is perfect. So what does it mean to be perfect? To love, to bless, and to pray for your enemies. Not just the people you like, but some of the people that you don't like. To take the time to be nice to them. Yeah. That's the challenge, that's the chore, but that's the command. And we'll never get around it. And for thousands of years, we've been trying to get around it. I've told plenty of church people, you, you may not want to love me, but you got to love me if you want to get to heaven. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You've got to, and I've got to love you too. There's no way we can get out of this because the Bible says if, if I don't forgive you and you don't forgive me, our Heavenly Father won't forgive us. And the only people that are in heaven are forgiven people as far as I know. I'd hate to be on the outside standing at the gate trying to get in and the Lord said, well, if you had just forgiven that brother or sister, we'd be bringing you in here right now. But because you haven't, that's why there's outer darkness out there and you're just kind of drifting off there into that, that area. No, folks, I, I don't want that at all. It's a whole lot easier just to walk in love and trust God. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand. This is how we become children of God. Act like a child of the King. Now, remember this this week when you are challenged by someone who's not always the most, the most lovable. Remember that? And, and, and somehow ask God to give you the grace to bless them anyhow. I've I found that if you're ever angry or upset with a preacher and you need to bless a preacher, the best way to do that is with a pecan pie. <laughs> I found that. The Bible says you reap what you sow. See, you reap what you sow. Come on, let's pray. Father, when you look down here upon us today, I hope that you see a garden of praise and one of love. We all have our own flaws and defects and failures. You know all about that. But yet, God, we come because we love you and we honor you. And we're here worshiping you out of a pure heart. So God, cleanse us, purify us, forgive us of all of our sins. Help us to draw closer and closer and closer to you. Because, God, we want to be children of our heavenly king. We want to illustrate your characteristics. We want to exemplify godly behavior. We know that the coming of the Lord is nigh. And we want to be prepared when that trumpet sounds. In Jesus' mighty name and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.